Where did you like to play as a child? I ask this question a lot because childhood memories shape us into the people we become. Welcome to Play It Forward, a worthy podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Ritson. Thanks so much for joining me. I talk a lot about play. I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm an educator, and I'm a playground designer. So I want to gather some of my favorite people who are advocates of children and nature and create a space to have an honest conversation about getting more kids outside. The power of play is very often underestimated and I think we all need a little more play in our lives. Hey, here we are with Heyanu Mosa. Um, in that intro, we heard how it's getting people together, but uh, what better way to start this podcast and bring in one of my favorite people in as well. I've got to start by saying thank you for the, all the work you've done. In, uh, for people that don't know Heyano, he is the program manager for Nature Play Queensland and probably one of the big, biggest advocates of getting children outdoors that I've ever come across. His depth of knowledge is phenomenal. His motivation, his passion um, is second to none and um, a huge motivator and inspiration for me. So thanks so much, Heyano. Oh. Um, no, wow. no pressure to live up to yeah. that, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, Thanks. There's um, flicking back through your bio stuff. Um, ten years involved in facilitating teaching, leading young people through world-class outdoor educational programs. Mm. World-class. Yeah, I used to take, uh, you know, mostly kids aged between 11 and 17 into the wilderness for between three to ten days and... We'd put backpacks on and fill our bags with food and clothes and stuff and disappear into the wilderness and come back after that 10 days and the kids are totally different people. They disconnect from the fast-paced rapidness of our world and reconnect with the pace of the environment and, and connect with each other on a different level. And, you know, for me, the power of nature and the power of adventure and the power of um, connecting people face-to-face was so evident throughout those times. I mean, often we'd sit in circles towards and throughout the whole of these journeys in the wilderness and, and talk about what we're getting out of these experiences. And kids would always say, oh, I never knew that kid was so cool. And I never knew that kid was so cool. And I'm really glad we got, I wish we'd got you know, together like this sooner. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, for me it was just highlighted you know, that, that this nature is just a great backdrop, a, a, a great frame for people to connect through. So it's an equaliser. Yeah, and um, we'll leave. That's a great place to start for my question. And I find it's a really beneficial to reflect on our own experience as children to see where we are now. And it gives also a lot of people a lot of motivation. And um, one of the points of this podcast is about getting beyond that nostalgia effect and how it's way more beneficial. So let's take a flashback and we'll come back to that program because it sounds amazing. But where did you grow up and where did you like to play most as a child? Uh, well, uh, most of my childhood was spent in two, predominantly two areas, um, uh, in the um, suburbs of, uh, the northern suburbs of Adelaide, uh, Salisbury, Parry Hills, um, up until the age of 10. And then in the small little copper mining town outside of um, Adelaide, about two and a half hours outside of Adelaide, called Burra Burra. Burra Burra. Yeah. And uh, that was a copper mining town. And both places provided me with a rich amount of play, really. Um, in Adelaide, 
it was uh, pretty much your stock standard suburb. It was a, it was a, uh, we were one of the first people to move into this area. So we watched it build and grow. And, and part of my play was in those houses that were being constructed. I loved climbing over houses that were under construction and, um, you know, yes, nicking materials to build all my own stuff in <laughs> those hideaway areas, you know, that was left over by builders. Um, you know, pallets, crates, bits of discarded timber that were, you know, gold. And I mean, in Borough, it was probably got a bit more risky as we got older. You know, we were um, playing down mine shafts. Uh, probably my favourite place to play was the rubbish tip. Yeah. That was a gold mine. Oh, my goodness. For sure. I remember being a kid, being one of six boys, we'd fight for the position in the car to get to go to the tip with my dad. <laughs> Who gets <laughs> was, out first? It was all on. It was hunt. all on to get ready for the, the treasure hunt. <laughs> and what year would have that been around, not to sell you out on your age or <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a good question. I think it was the, I am oh, in Burrow, it was the 80s. Uh, I would have been 84. Yeah. So, yeah. And um, oh, I suppose before that it was, you know, 70, I was born 74, so... Yeah, in that late 70s. So, yeah, that would be bang on that time where, and we're in a very similar generation where we're looking at that data now that reflects about a kilometre. Mm. Was it a kilometre of free travel? I know we've had this conversation. Oh, I had more than that. Yeah. yeah. I could I could go 10 kilometres easy. Easy. Yeah, no problem. And what age? Um, probably, oh, well, I remember at six years of age, uh, got riding to school, and that was at least three k's away. So that was probably. a 6k round trip. And, um, and, you know, I lived there till I was 10 and we used to go, you know, we'd ride around that school during school holidays, Yeah. you know, so we would be back there, you know, and, and all around the area. So, yeah, I, I reckon my roaming distance as a six to eight year old, nine year old would have been about four Ks. Yeah. And um, it's frightening to think and flash forward to now, what are the children's experiences they're getting now and yes. the average distance traveled? Uh, well, most parents are only happy letting their kids, on average, going 20 metres away from them. 20 metres from yeah. a kilometre in a few, one generation. Yeah, yeah. That's oh. why they have big fences around playgrounds now. That's your roaming distance. Yeah. 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 And then um, where's that? Where are the children getting that experience that you had? Where are they building that independence? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I like to, f I mean, if you look at what motivates children, I mean, I, I, you know, I've had the privilege of reflecting on my childhood probably more so than most people get to just because of the nature of this work. And, and um, you know, I think kids are mostly motivated by what, what I call the four Fs, which is fun, friends, freedom, and fluency, which is challenge. You know, they yep. want to be fluent at something. They want to master a test and trial, you know, skills. And um, that's what drives kids to do things, what they're doing, those, those four Fs. Um, and now you, kids, that's a, that the roaming distance is important in terms of sense of community and things like that. But that's not what children are motivated by. They're not motivated to go outside because they want to be a good community citizen. They're not motivated yeah. to go outside because they care about their physical fitness or yeah. their mental health. Yeah. They're, they're motivated by f whether they can have fun, if they can play with their mates, if they can test and challenge themselves, and if they get to choose what they can do. And they can do all that online now. Yeah. So they don't have to go outside their front door to satisfy what motivates kids. Yeah, and jumping into that, screen time, social media debate. I know it is a debate for some reason, but mm. I've got to uh, check my own bias that in on that argument. But um, one of the things I'd heard, and I love your point of view on it, is that um, 
children aren't missing out on community and because their community is online now and it's adults mm. that just don't understand that. Um, what's your view on that a community exists online and that's fulfilling as a general relationship in a, in a sensory way? Oh, I, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't say it's, it's, it's fulfilling in, in any shape of the word. I, it, it do, it's there. It's easily accessed. Definitely. They can access an online community. Um, and it does have a few, there are positives. I'm not just, this, this, uh, I don't want to, you know, say that there's no positives to that community. You know, uh, when I was a kid, if I had an interest in ants, I was a loner. There was no one I could connect with on that. And, you know, my interest in ants would go no further than myself. And yeah. I would feel isolated and alone in my interest. It didn't matter how strongly I was interested in ants. Now I could have a whole community of ants. I could probably go on and be supported to, uh, to focus my interest in ants. Maybe I might find that ants are the cure to cancer because of I've got this online community that can support me into yeah. to be nurtured in that direction. So yeah. that's a positive for that. But... There is no face-to-face contact. There is no reading of body language. There's no reading of tone. There's no reading of um, what's happening outside your door in your community, that face-to-face interactive connection. And and especially during those younger years. It's the younger years that's the most important. Uh, Those zero to uh, eight at the max, probably zero to four really. You know, if kids aren't having that face-to-face direct contact with with people and seeing people wanting to engage with people, they'll build up a relationship with objects versus things, yeah. with people. Uh, they'll have a relationship with objects, not a relationship with people. Yeah. And that is what they call autism. Yeah. And um, let's lead into a, a project I know you're so super passionate about and we'll, we'll come into the offset of how to support and take action on these things because we don't want to just sit here and talk about like the challenges we face. Let's mm. get into, and your experience in the Neighbourhood Play Project, um, phenomenal project and you'll delve into it far better than I could. So mm. if you could give our listeners a little insight into what the Neighbourhood Play Project is yeah, and then we'll get into some of the outcomes of that. Cool. Well, like to take just a couple of steps back, um, you know, when I started this journey in 2014, this role of rolling out Nature Play Queensland, it's like someone asked me, you know, we've got this project we're going to start up. We want you to take it up and, you know, it's basically we're going to encourage kids to get outside and play. And I'm like, what do you mean? They're not going outside and playing anymore? And, it, and, and that to me was phenomenal. Like, I'll save you, you know, all that money. Just go outside and play. It's not rocket science. You know, just go out. But then, you know, after going across the community, Queensland community, and listening, you know, I did, I think in the first year, I did 84 talks to across Queensland community, like from Cairns all the way down out west, um, been out to Mount Isa, been down to Richmond, Julia Creek, yeah. uh, Longreach, you know, all across Arnhem Land, you know, talking, uh, not just talking to people about nature play and outdoor play, but listening to the community and what's going on. I found out there's the biggest challenge, the biggest change the biggest shift to childhood has been when kids go home from school they don't drop their bags and go outside and play yeah and was that um for jumping in the neighborhood play was that was that the you mentioned the brief about 
nature play and, and the inception of it, moving from your passionate engagement with children in that outdoor adventure space, mm. transitioning to maybe tell us a bit about how nature play came about because that's that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, well, a fellow um, named Griffin Longley started it. Yep. Yeah. So he um, – um, most people would know him through his brother. You know, he's, his uh, brother was Luke Longley, um, the bar Australian basketballer in the dream team of the Chicago Bulls. Yeah. So um, he, he now coaches the Australian basketball team. Yeah. Um, Luke Longley. Explain his height, wouldn't it? Yes. Yeah. And so Griffin <laughs> Longley is the I shortest. I never made that connection yeah. and I've met Griffin a bunch. I think he's six seven, and yeah. he's the shortest of the family. Yeah. So, uh, um, but anyway, he read Richard Lou's book, Last yep. Child in the Woods, and was so impressed with what that message was, which is he introduces that concept of nature deficit disorder, which yep. isn't a real medical problem, but it no. maybe some people think it should be. Yeah. But it basically explains the fact that this is a bit this generation of children are spending the least amount of time outdoors in nature than any other generation in history. And do we want to see the last, you know, child in the woods? And um, so Griffin read in his book, got inspired, started the Nature Play program in Western Australia, and then it has rolled out across, you know, uh, most of the states of Australia now. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is where we are now. And Yeah, and getting back to that point, so, you know, most kids aren't throwing their books, their bags down after school and going outside and playing. And when if they do have that motivation to do that, they go out into a neighbourhood that's empty and there's no kids. And they don't know where to find these kids now. Yeah, so that was uh, getting just children outdoors was the number one. Mission. Mission. Get them out from underneath the roof. Of yeah. house. And how has it yeah. been going? Uh, yeah, I think. For our listeners. Yeah. Well I mean, we've had lots of take up. I mean, it's a hard one to measure. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, one of our key programs is the Nature Play Passport program. That's a good indication. That uh, keeps on growing in interest. We get those, these are little passports that they look like your passport you go travel with, but they're green. Yep. You know, and it's full of outdoor play missions and they're free. You get them off our website and they, you can order them, order them, they get sent to you for free. Yep. Um, we, there's 573,000 of those have been ordered for Queensland kids since we Over ordered Half them. a mil. Yeah. I yeah. know it's a prized possession of my daughter. It's ah. uh, tucked away from my son. There's been a few <laughs> battles about the passports. Awesome. For well, sure. That's good to, good to um, see. Good to hear. Uh, yeah, I mean, but that, that, that could be a measure of of how how well it's going. It's, it's, it's still going. I mean, we do um, events and kids keep on turning up to those and, and, and wanting to turn up to those. So that's a great thing, you know. Um, yeah, I, I don't think the problem is that kids don't want to play outside. It's the adults who said no. Um, and there's many reasons why. Yeah, well, what are some of those reasons, you think? Um, fear and distrust and disconnection. Of? What's a fear? The fear of each other. Yeah. Yes. Fear. I don't know my neighbor. And because I don't know you, you're dangerous and a threat. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much what it gets down to, you know, and would I, um, and it's not that the fact that, um, you a hundred percent agree that that person is a threat. It's yeah. just, you haven't taken the time to know them. So it's better to err on the side of caution and assume you're a threat. Yeah. So, um, then, and especially when it comes to children. Yeah. And, um, lack of connection. Like a connection is where it gets down to. Um, you take the time to get to know your neighbours, say hello and meet them, then those connections build and trust builds and our neighbourhoods feel friendly, safe places to live again. Yeah, it's quite scary to think about that, um, the movement in time where all of a sudden we had 24 news, 24-hour news, all these problems were instantly in our lounge room. 
yeah. instead of in these very specific small demographic places. That's right. And with the age of Facebook and um, community gossip groups, whatever you want to call them, support <laughs> support groups. Um, yeah, so all of a sudden that information is in everyone's pockets. So they think it's happening right next door to them. Yes. Um, so how are we going to overcome that? Uh, well, um, the five up, five down rule is a good one. And so that walk outside your front door and knock on the door of five people up from you and five people down from you and get to know them. Just say hello yep. and start building a relationship um, with those people. And, and especially if you've got children and you want um, your kids to know where other kids live, then I would even go to, say, five up and five down houses with children Yeah, and connect with those people and, and get to know them. Yeah, and the, um, the ironic thing about that is more children outdoors, more, the more you know your neighbours, the safer your children are going to be. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it, it, this is a cultural problem in Australia specifically yeah. and, uh, and other Western developed countries. This isn't a global problem. Yeah. Like uh, there are countries that don't have this issue because culturally they look at each other differently. When they see a stranger, they don't see someone who's dangerous. They see someone who's a potential supervisor of their child. Yeah. That's what they see. Yeah, I like to relate to that thing where people say oh, it takes a village to raise a child. Yes. But it's... Um, we've got to view each other as villages. We've got to view each other from the same team. That's right. You know, it's... Yeah, uh, yeah not, not, not different tribes living next door to each other at war. Yeah. You know, which is what we currently have. The thing is, we do come from such a blessed culture and blessed communities in a lot of sense where mm. our basic needs are met. We do have shelter. We don't have to worry about the threat of the village next door coming in. No. And we have none of that, and yet we've built this big thing up to be something it's really not. Yeah. Our houses are virtual leisure palaces. That's all, you know, everything's inside your house. You know, you can, you can connect to all parts of the world without having to leave your front door, without having to leave in your bedroom sometimes, you know. And then, you know, one of the, one of the things that I've come to realise, it's, it's a totally inanimate thing, but a, a significant change, the roll-up garage, garage door, the electric garage door yeah a total disconnector because yep. you don't have to stop and get out of your car exposed in your neighborhood and open the garage door personally you know you can push a button from within inside your car drive in and push a button and the neighborhood is shut out yep. so this is just this you know inanimate thing no one intended it to happen yeah but it has resulted in so much disconnection because there's no none of that incidental opportunity just to connect with your neighbor yeah, even the size of the houses. Yes. Four, what was it? I was in a suburb recently. Four bedroom, two bathroom, and on around a 300 metre block. Yeah, and a child's entertainment area and an adult's entertainment area. Inside. Yes. And no courtyard, yes. no nothing. Yeah. And then we're saying, oh, why, why, are they, why is their well-being? Also, this is a huge well-being and preventative health issue as, yeah. it, as it's coming up. And we're seeing more and more children overweight, more and more children going on... Uh, suffering from anxiety and all of these things. So yes. you mentioned the five up, five down rule um, and obviously the play street. And I've got to touch on a sensitive subject here. It's um, you are an associate member of the Arrowhead gang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You want to break I think that I'm, down for our I, listeners? Well, yeah. Or the founding member maybe. May, oh, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I gave the kids... So my, my kids in my, in my neighbourhood, we've put a lot of effort into making sure the adults stay out of the way. Yeah. That's, that's the big secret. Yeah. You want to explain to our listeners how the Arrowhead gang came about? So, it's yeah. It's very inspirational. 
Ah, so when my wife and I were looking into a neighborhood to move into, um, we were, you know, looking at a whole bunch of different houses and there was, you know, some really super nice houses up on, there was one house in particular we were tossing up with. It was up on top of this massive hill, 270 degree view, brand new house, speaking, you know, I mean, it was beautiful and it was similar price to this other house that we're looking into, but, um, that, which was much older. And, but we chose the older house because it had children either side of it. Yep. And the other one, we would have isolated our children up a 600 meter long driveway and our kids would never have seen anyone, you know, and, um, but this one, this particular house was much older, you know, nice house still, you know, beautiful house. But, um, yeah, it had kids either side. And, you know, the day we move in, we drive the truck in and we park the, car, park the truck there and my daughter is in the truck with me. And, you know, she was uh, uh, five going six at the time. And, um, yeah, we park the truck and she's nagging me on the way there to introduce her to the kids next door because she was just excited about meeting kids. She wasn't excited about the house. Yeah. You know, she's excited about meeting the kids next door. So we went to one of the houses, we knocked on the door and these three kids come to the door and they're all a similar age group, age groups. Um, and, um, you know, I've just said, oh, hi, my name's Hayano. I'm your new neighbor. Um, is your mum home? And the kids are staring at each other. No one said a word yet, you know, and, and one of the kids disappears, comes back with the mum. It's Leanne. And say, hi, Leanne. Um, yeah, I'm your new neighbor. And, um, yeah, and the kids just disappear into the house. They still haven't talked. I think for, it took like two weeks until Lily could tell me their names. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not important. You yeah. know, the, the play is what's important. They're, they're yeah. driven by it. It's, it's something deep. It's a mechanism built into our nature. So L- Lily was w- went into play with them first yes. time. Yes. Right, I thought they left her hanging there for a moment. No. I was like, that's a tough crowd. <laughs> no, no, they, she disappeared and, and they've been out playing ever since. And um, um, for me, this is the thing with the, the screen thing, like, you know, I think if you give kids the, the opportunity to connect with kids in real play, real time, um, they'll choose it. But they've got to know other kids are out there. And so, you know, the adults have to be the brainy play child, brainy, the brainy play friend, and connect those kids and then step out of the way. That's all you got to do. Yeah. You know, and, you know, obviously safety is an issue. You know, making sure our kids get around our community in groups. Yeah. There's definite safety in that. You know, and taking your kids out into your neighborhood with you go go with them first if they want to go further. Test their road skills. Let them lead the way. You know, be there to show them when they're making a decision that's not necessarily the greatest one. Ask questions uh, to them about how they could do it better. You know, and and they'll tell you they're pretty smart. Yeah, facilitate the. You kind of like the adult being the facilitator of the original experience you had as a child. Yes. Back in. Mine shafts. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And then whose idea was the whole Arrowhead gang? Oh, when How did I, that came about? Well, when I was, I was over in, um, in, in Canada, I was actually at the Children and Nature Network conference in Canada and I brought back um, some souvenir Arrowheads yeah. from there for the, for the kids and I just gave them to them because I thought all oh, the kids were like these. Yeah. And then they just, then next thing you know, like I heard it in conversation, I'm talking about it and, it's like, and they called themselves the Arrowhead gang. I said, oh, did they come from the Arrowheads I gave you? And like, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and they've uh, they've um, taken charge and activated their own play street now. Yes, every uh, every two months we have a, a play street, and the adults group together and drink coffee, coffee and tea, and sit around and chat and get to know each other and build those relationships, which are really important. And the other kids just go off and 
and, and, and play. They, and we try to time it these days before school holidays so yeah. kids can make plans to meet up during school holidays. Strategic. And that works really well. Um, and, um, yeah, they go to the creek. They've built cubby houses down the creek now. They go to each other's houses. You know, they know different houses have different play resources, swimming pools. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a little kid down the road. Um, uh, he's like nine. His dad's got a golf cart and they let the kids drive this golf cart and they, you know, drive around the paddock in this golf cart. So that's great. <laughs> I know. That's been the latest thing. Yeah. There's about seven kids hanging off one golf cart. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag risky play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so how's that contributed to your exploration in this whole um, neighbourhood play project and documentary coming about? Yeah. Uh, well, um, you know, obviously seeing what was going on in our neighbourhood and seeing that kids were still choosing outdoors. I was like, yeah. wow, I wonder if this is something broader. So, yeah, I, I pitched a project to the Queensland government and, uh, around um, to see if we could go to a, a, two, you know, randomly chosen neighbourhoods yeah. and see if we can activate those places as play for kids to play and, um, and to see if that would, that would happen, if it would work. Yeah, and I think that's a great uh, lead-in to, you know, it's easy to dismiss. You you live on a big chunk of land with big neighbours where you can drive a golf cart around, but mm. I think the Neighbourhood Play Project offers that evidence to those people that do live in that high density um, that there is equal opportunity, exploration and experience available to yeah. the children. There should so, be more opportunity because yeah. there's more children. Yeah. There's, there's a greater diversity of play buddies. Yeah. Really, if you want to look at it like what the value yeah. of chil- to what value of those motivations for children, yeah. more fun, more friends, yeah, the freedoms of travel, the freedom, the transition between yeah. these areas is but a opportunities challenge. for fluency and challenge. You know, that's all there. Yeah. So, yeah. what were your big takeaways from trying to go into these two suburbs um, and activate two different types of um, community to engage and allow their children getting outdoors, getting those four Fs. Yeah, well, what, what we realised, because we, we, we focused on these two neighbourhoods, we started with a big community forum in that area to find those people. And, you know, we had, you know, uh, 45 uh, parents show up who were really interested in this. I was like, well, that was, I wasn't expecting that many people. Yeah, you're like, easy, time for a coffee. Yeah, yeah. and we, we <laughs> held that forum and we talked about, you know, what was going on in our neighbourhoods and asked them a whole bunch of questions. It was a big facilitated workshop around yeah. what's going on in neighbourhood, where did they play? Can their kids go out and play? If not, why not? Yeah. If yes, why? What's happening? How is that permitted? And what's going on there? And, we, and everybody in there, in the room, no kids could go out and play. And um, we found out that parents who, you know, those barriers, there's stranger danger, fear of traffic and distrust of and not knowing who they're surrounding around. That was the biggest problems. Um, but what we did find was, is, is also that uh, if it's not a priority for most people now. For some reason, it's just play isn't considered to have high value it does you know it's it's one of those things it's just like oh if you've got time we, we might get a play in yeah you know and you do that at school you know yeah. you get some play there but you know it's not something that's seen as high value activity for children and it, i don't think there's a huge amount of understanding and awareness of what kids are getting out of that play and then what impact it's having on their development when they don't get it yeah Hundred percent, and it's this like um, a lot of the time I see it as um, our challenge is not to come up with this adult-centric representation of play for children as well. It's like they go to a park, and um, we suffer from that play bias aspect in Australia. If they go to a park, they get to 
climb, they traverse and they slide or they swing and then mm. they go to the next pass and they get the same thing. But where is the independence? Where is the accomplishment? Where's the mastery coming from? And all of these things drastically contribute to mm. overall well-being of those children. So we have to think, well, whose responsibility is it to fulfill these opportunities? And I think that's where the child, early childhood sector and schools, you know, schools have a lot to do already. And we've had this debate with a lot of schools. Mm. Um, they've got so much to do, but is it the school's responsibility to offer that because children aren't getting it now? Mm. What do you think? Well, you know, I know globally there is some um, organisations who have, you know, they've given up the, given up the, the mission of uh, trying to get kids into community because it's just too much distrust out there and they see it as too big yeah. a problem. And they see parents trust schools, so let's just let schools be the central location. There's pros and cons to that. You know, yeah. there's, 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 there's um, you know, again, kids, when they go home, what do they do? You know, yeah. you know. 42% of our physical activity used to come from our incidental movement in play. Yeah. If you, that that's happens outside of school hours. Yeah. So I wonder what it's down to now. Yeah. I mean, when you have to look at the children's overweight and obesity rate, you know, which is, you know, one in four now. So, you know, that's, that sounds a bit of a, it's an indicator of, and, and, you know, only, I think it was one in five children would actually get the amount of physical activity one in Australia in that they need. You know, that's according to the Australian Physical Activity Report Guide, yeah. which has been done three times now over the last six years and it hasn't moved. No. So it's not getting any worse, which is good. <laughs> so we're, I know we're talking about big scale things and mm. fostering whole communities and that's a huge thought. And, uh, you know, you can get a bit of paralysis of analysis to try to take any action there. So Yes, but acting locally is the, it's is one of those things, is, you know, that old adage, you know, act locally. Yeah, it's it, it's so true in this scenario. You know, get five up, five down. Get to know your neighbours, and watch it all unfold. And and the whole idea is being consistent and regular. Yeah, you got to you can't just do it once. That that's not enough. You got to you got to put some energy. I mean, we our play street is every two months. Yeah, and you know it's it's worked it, a magic trick too. Like our smallest one has been forty eight people. That's thirty kids and eighteen adults. Yeah, you know, and that's the smallest one. Yeah, um, going back to the play. Um, neighborhood play project without we can't give too much away because we want people to watch the doco. Oh, definitely. <laughs> of course. Um, and you wanted to share now where that's available. Uh, you can get it on Vimeo. You just search nature, uh, the, the neighborhood play project. Yeah, I encourage um, encourage everyone to go and watch that. And you can it's, it really takes you on a journey um, and a real insight into what children are facing now because it's easy to go on that perception that oh, well, it's just not necessary. And, you know, we, we find it really hard um, being advocates of children at worthy, worthy to try to get beyond that nostalgia. Mm. Um, people just dismissing it as, oh, well, that's what you did as a child and not really taking it to this integral right of children like, you know, like um, Play Wales and things being advocation and adv adv such big advocates of play that they've actually got the play charter over there and it yes. has to be considered, which is phenomenal. Yes. But I think in Australia we're really struggling with how do we how do we get there? Well, there was a big move just on this weekend, like Australian first ever federal announcement, thirty five million dollars invested into a, a longitudinal study on the impact of digital media on children, aged eight to zero. It's going to yeah. be rolled out by QUT. I mean, they're going to tell us all what we already know. Yeah. But 
you know, that's a movement in the federal department, which suggests federally they're recognizing this issue, which they've never done before. Yeah. So that's the first. That's a that's a big one from a federal because lot ha lots happening locally, but finally federally they they're focusing on it, which you could maybe hope that they'll throw a lot more effort and money into this. You know, I mean, once they unpack what's going on for kids, um, health and well-being through their yeah. overuse of digital media, media, then there'll be a, a push of going. Well, what's what's the gaps there? What's the what's the antidotes? I mean, that's yeah. the that's the best part about outdoor play. It's free and it's outside your door and anyone can get it. It's, yeah. And it's accessible. And it doesn't cost the federal government $35 million. Yeah, but preventative-wise, how much money is it oh, it would saving be, them? Oh, well, you know, I mean, if you looked at Dr. James Peckman, Nobel laureate, who talked about investment in early childhood, it pays $14. So every dollar, so they're going to spend $35 million investing on, on that. It, it, it's supposed to pay back $14. So if what's 14 times $35 million? That's what it comes back to the community. That's phenomenal. Um, and you're... Years at um, Nature Play, Queensland Nature Play. Mm. Um, what's your biggest top three learnings in the since it, since it started, mm. and then for the for the years to come, what would be your intention and uh, yeah, and well, wants or the legacy, if you will. Top three learnings. Wow. Um, one of them. Well, hard. Well, yeah, one of them I reckon would be that. Um, uh, you know, intrinsic motivation. That's probably the, one of the biggest ones. That's just learning to do things just because you love it. I mean, most people, their favourite thing to do in their lives gives them no monetary reward, no extrinsic reward. They do it because they love it. I love rock climbing. I'll do it any day of the week. If you if you could, if I could get paid to rock climb, I reckon I'd you know I'd probably do it. But you know, but maybe not. <laughs> but um, you know, I do it anyway. You know, that as, as if I could choose. You know, that's just the things that I love, intrinsic motivation. So but intrinsic motivation comes from being able to do things on your own terms. Yeah. It means you've got to be self-directed. Now, one of the biggest learnings I've figured out is adults are so involved in kids' lives now more than ever. I mean, I, I like to say that I accidentally grew up in the best time to be a child. And it all came to do, all of that opportunity came out of the, the parental sort of sociological norm of my era that children were seen and not heard. Yeah. So we went outside because, you know, we wanted to make noise. Yeah. So and then we just disappeared into the into the, you know, community as a result. Yeah. You know, because and so we were seen and not heard for a whole different reason than yeah. what children today, you know, are seen and not heard as well. But they're just down the hall. Yeah, they're in the same room. Yes. On a shiny yeah. screen. Yes, that's a right. A lot of time, or so, in front of one. Mm, so that's one of the intrinsic. Great, yep. So, I mean, while we were out there in those communities, doing things for ourselves, drop being the drivers, we were developing a, 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 an experience of what it means to be intrinsically motivated because there was no reward for us. No one was paying us to go out and play in those communities. No one, no one was giving us an extrinsic reward for um, building all those cubby houses yeah. or playing in all those forts or making up all those games that we did. And, you know, we just did it because we were, we just loved life. Yeah. You know, we were full of it. Yeah. Of, of that, of that passion and, and just, just for moving and being out. It's completely led into the, what, as those generations come through, I work with a lot of educators and it's the exact same framing, but I call it the being and doing conflict. Right. So 
are you are you being and you being in your place? Are you being fulfilled in what you're doing, or are you just doing? Yeah. And we're constantly in this modern age. We need to do 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 to get 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 to get it done done done. Mm. But we're really lacking being, and being is where that mastery comes from. Being is where that self fulfillment comes from. That's right. And then we're not going to have to start doing it on these external things like we've got that external reflex to be fulfilled but if mm. we're not doing it for ourselves by being we're going to be doing it by doing that's right so that's going to get carried on mm. and on and on and if children are constantly surrounded by adults who want to keep them safe where do they get the chance to be yeah and and just do the things they want to do because they love it yeah you know without an adult Sort of going, oh, that's cool, that's great, you know, and giving even even those those words of affirmation and positive, you know, it changes the meaning for children. Yeah, you know, they're still getting some feedback there, but they're not, you know, they're, they're doing it then for approval. Yeah, from from, from adults that are watching. Yeah, know? and that comes down to that um, self fulfillment, and then in turn that accomplishment, mm. and then that well accomplishment first, and then that self fulfillment. So then they can realize within their physiology and by moving their body, they can really fulfill themselves, like yeah. the chemical response in their body. And they can do that for themselves. They have mastery over it. Yes. But if we're not exposing children to that, mm. what are they going to get? They're going to start getting the screens. They're going to start. And as we progress into adulthood with that same framing, it gets pretty dangerous when you're looking at alcohol, drugs, mm. um, depression, anxiety, yeah. and all those ro- roles are shooting through the roof as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. The global trends on on mental health problems for children, and yeah, it's not a good sign. And uh, um, yeah, again, and, and, and I mean, it, on that mental health, I mean, you look at identity. That the 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 being that I knew I was, by getting out and about and around my community, you know, and 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 doing things for myself, like um, um, hockey, for instance. When I was a kid, I loved hockey. I played hockey. Uh, I used to have to ride, you know, six kilometers to the hockey ground. You know, two times a week to yeah. train. So that's a 12K ride, every, you know, twice a week. And then in amongst all that, arrange, on my own terms, a ride to hockey to play a game. Yeah. And then I'd get there and I'd play my game and then I'd play with the older kids afterwards, yeah. you know, because they didn't have as many players and they needed an extra player. And then I'd play sometimes for the women's team because <laughs> they'd let kids play on the, on the, on the adult women's team. Yeah. You know, just because I wasn't as much of a threat maybe and they wouldn't let a man <laughs> play but, you know a kid but you know again mo- totally motivated in to do things on my own terms yeah you know what does what does that shape in myself of how i view myself yeah and in, and you know again with that it comes out of just that intrinsic motivation and ch- opportunity to be free and move around my community and do these things yeah and connect with all those people you know that that informs the identity of who i see myself as and and What's filling that gap for children today? Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, we talk about what's the greatest learning. If adults are so involved in our kids' lives these days, they've got to do it at a, on a more educated level in, in terms of knowing the impact of being constantly involved in our kids' worlds and knowing when we need to step back and, and love them from behind instead of protecting them in front. I love that saying, protect mm. them from what was that? Love them from behind. Love them from behind instead of protect them <laughs> in front. I like it. I like it. So yeah. do you think that's what necessary moving forward for the nature play movement and getting children outside? And we've also got to acknowledge that the nature play is not just about mm. just nature. No. You know? No. I mean, I, I, I started out 
championing the fact that kids need to connect with nature because that's what I was, I yeah. was I, that was my world. But then I realised just kids weren't getting out from underneath their roofs, you know, they, and they got to get out from underneath their roofs first if we want them to get them into nature. Yeah. So it's a, um, and, and, you know, my love from nature came from the sidewalk first. Yeah. You know, and then, and then, then the trees down the road and, yeah. and then all the amazing birds that are in there and, and, and all the other creatures. And yeah, I think that's an important point to make. We're not saying it's necessary for your child for, for fulfilment to be going on bushwalks or going on a camp. No. A la Hayano Mosa or an adventure down copper mines, a la like retrofit 1980s style. No. We're not saying that. No. No. We're saying it's just what what's available mm. and exposing them to that. Yeah. And like you said, frequently. Yeah. Um, my daughter, when, you know, I had to convince my wife at one point that my daughter wanted to go down the creek when, you know, she got to about eight and a half and she wanted to go further. Yeah. I was really surprised by my daughter's response. You know, when she went there, she went with a buddy, a friend, and they took off down there with their bikes. And about 15 minutes later, they were back and they were huffing and puffing, like, <laughs> and like, what's going on? What's going on? And she said, oh, I, hit, I, hit, I went down the creek and, you know, I hit my foot on the, on the rock and now, now I'm, you know, and I'm like, okay, are you okay? She goes, yeah. I'm like, okay. She goes, can I go back now? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> she, she, you know, she, you know, normally I'm there for her to tell me that things. I mean, maybe she just wanted to quickly come back and check in with me and then go yeah. again. And they went back and they didn't come back for an hour and a half later. Yeah. That, you, know, you, see. you got the approval, the ticket of approval. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, what that told me was that, you know, she's can not only take care of herself in those scenarios, but she felt she needed to check in. That That's the, the step the logical step for a, per, a child that has constantly been sort of monitored and supervised around a neighborhood to then having that responsibility handed over to her. Yeah. You know, it, it seemed like, you know, you totally didn't really need to come back and tell me you'd hit your foot with her on a rock if it was, your foot was perfectly fine. Yeah. You know, but she just needed to take that step, you know, and, and, then, and then again, it's that the grown-up not reacting and, oh, you can't go back down again. You go, yeah, off you go. If you yeah. want to go back again, go. You know, this is... Yeah, she's she's learning to take that responsibility, and now you know they they she's coming back now, telling me about new places they found. Yeah, yeah. So um, talking about the parental approval or parental support, I know Nature Play coming up have um, some initiatives happening yes. over the next foreseeable future. So do you want to share what's going on there? What's uh, what's exciting in Nature Play coming up? Well, one of the um, the initiatives we are doing with schools. Is um, outdoor classroom day. Awesome. Yeah. So November November seventh, outdoor classroom day. Uh, you know, put it in your diary. Thousands of kids kids have already registered. I think there's uh, thirty three thousand kids in Queensland. Yeah, it's phenomenal uh, worldwide. The whole worldwide movement. Yeah, it's a global initiative. There, I think over two million kids worldwide went yep. out have gone outside to learn so far this year. Yep. I'll be meeting up with Kath in London, the founder of Outdoor Classroom oh, Day, in yeah. two weeks' time. So I'm sure that will be a fun Say chat hi. as well. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, what else is happening? Um, well, we've, um, we're also about to release yeah, a bit of exclusive. Ooh, exclusive. Ooh. Uh, the, another initiative to help support parents in the, in the neighborhood play thing. It's called the Digital Door Knock. The Door Knock. I love this. Yeah. I love this. Let's um, find out about that and then we'll give it some, where people can find it. Uh, it's not out yet. I know it's not, it's not yet, yet but, but you will be able to find it off our Nature Play Queensland website and the digital doorknob app is a connector between 
local parents. So, you know, to be able to, uh, it's one of those things like once parents do connect their kids, it's a facilitator to enable that play to happen more often. So if my kid um, and I, you and I have met yep. face to face, yeah, um, there's a way for our smart devices to talk to each other and connect. Yeah, that says that we've met face to face and that I know you and you're a trusted adult. Yeah, and that my kids can play with your kids and it has a little button on it, and I can just click that and say my kids are available for play. And then you can go on, you can look on your device, and everyone who you're connected with locally can go. Uh, oh, look at all these kids that are available for play right now. Yeah, and so and then you can send them a message going, hey, um, you know, my kid loves to come play with your kids. Is that okay? Cool. And then they. Off they go and play. Amazing. Reverse engineering, using that tech to our advantage. Yeah, yeah. Um, mate, it's amazing to see what you do. Um, I'm so appreciative because you guys are the biggest advocates of getting children out outdoors and like supporting children's well-being. And you guys are molding the future for my daughter and my son, so I'll be forever grateful for that. But, um, yeah, thanks so much for your time. No worries, It's been Lucas. a big day. Big, and, uh, big fan of Worthy as well and all the amazing spaces and places that you guys create and shape very, you know, very uniquely and 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 um, very um, purposely taking into into consideration children's developmental needs and, and that ability to connect with outdoor play and nature. So you guys do a brilliant job. So well done. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ayana. Um, thanks for joining us on the play it forward worthy podcast today um for further information and following up on those things that hayano and i spoke about hit up the digital door knock app available on android smartphone um they'll be available and announced through the nature play queensland website um, and the neighborhood play project please 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 head over to v vimeo check it out it's an amazing documentary it's emotional journey, stick with it. Um, but it's all the motivation you need and share it with your families. Feel free to share it in your services with your community because it, this is an important message that we need to get out there. Um, we need to support our children. Um, if you've liked today's podcast, um, please subscribe, rate, review, um, share it with your friends and family. So once again, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time for Play It Forward.